church. Happy New Year to all of you. I'm excited to be with you guys today. Um, as Steve mentioned, we are in the second week of this series called The First News. And from now until Easter, we're going to be uh, going chapter by chapter through the book of Mark. And um, we believe that Mark was probably the first of the four gospel books written. And that word gospel, it simply means good news. Mark wrote this book in order to share the good news of who Jesus Christ is. And, uh, and so I thought, okay, in the spirit of sharing good news, it, it would only be appropriate to share with you guys that, um, no, I did not just overindulge in desserts this holiday season, although that is exactly what I did, but I also, I am pregnant. Uh, thank you. My, uh, my husband and Gary and I, were expecting our second kiddo come July, and we, are, we cannot be more thrilled for that. Um, however, our son Hudson, he's almost two, he'll be two next month, he is, um, should I say, not quite as thrilled? <laughs> I, I can't tell you how much, like, mom joy it brings to me that I captured this picture. Um, like, all I'm thinking about now is, like, showing it to his girlfriends in, like, 15 years and humiliating him. It's going to be wonderful. Um, but he's actually not upset about the fact that he's going to have to start sharing mom and dad. Um, he's, uh, he's upset about the much worse reality, the fact that I made him change his shirt, uh, which apparently for a two-year-old is an extreme form of torture. So I learned my lesson, I guess. But uh, no, we're, we're excited for, uh, for that change in our family this year. Um, today, we're going to be in March chapter one and two, and we're actually going to take a look at three incredible stories of three different individuals who experienced miraculous healing. Um, they're incredible stories. Jesus, he meets these individuals right where they're at, and he just completely changes their lives. And actually, at the end of our service today, we're going to have an opportunity for uh, anyone who, who needs healing to come forward, and we're going to pray uh, for healing this weekend. We're going to pray that that uh, I, I fully believe that we will have individuals who are a part of our church body who are going to experience their own incredible story of healing as a result. Uh, however, as I've been preparing for this message over the last few weeks, uh, I have been kind of wrestling with a lot of anxiety, um, kind of like I've been torn up inside because my heart, it goes out to two types of individuals that um, are undoubtedly in our audience today. Uh, the first is those of us who are maybe a little bit skeptical to this whole topic of miraculous healing. Uh, maybe you, you grew up in a setting where that just, it wasn't talked about, it, it wasn't practiced, it's kind of a foreign concept. Maybe for you, your only real experience with healings is by watching those televangelist programs where it seems a lot more like sketchy and fake than actually miraculous. Uh, maybe even now you're already starting to feel a little bit uncomfortable as we're beginning to talk and you're trying to find like the nearest exit and wonder if you can sneak out without anyone noticing. We will notice. <laughs> you're like, oh no. Um, but my hope is that you just kind of embrace that awkwardness for the next 35 minutes because I, I desperately don't want you to miss out on something new that God might want to teach you or show you today. And the other group of people I've been thinking a lot about is those of us who would say, you know, I, I believe that God can heal. I just don't think he does. Or at least he hasn't for me. Or at least he hasn't for my loved one. And I think uh, 
the reality is, because of the world that we live in, for every three stories of miraculous healing we could tell, there's three more where that wasn't the case. And it's times like these where we're left with doubt and with a myriad of why questions. Why does God heal some people and not others? Why, why do some people get healed immediately and then other people, it's over the course of, of days or weeks or months or even years? Why does it seem like there's some prayers that go left unanswered? Why, why are there some expected healings that never actually seem to come about? And I think when, when we're left with those questions that, that go left unanswered, it can lead us to feeling um, angry at God, forgotten by God. Maybe we even give up on having faith that God could even heal in our situation. And if you've ever asked those why questions, if you've ever uh, felt those feelings, I, I want you to know that you're not alone. Like, I'm, I'm right there with you. And regardless of, of where you land when it comes to uh, the topic of healing, my hope and my prayer for us today is that as we study these stories uh, that Mark seemed so important to him to record, my hope is that we would gain a fuller, uh, richer understanding of this topic and, and even the role that God might want it to play in our lives. And so go ahead and grab your Bible, open your Bible app. We're gonna be in March chapter one to start. And if you were joined us last weekend, you'll remember Pastor Steve, he told the story of, a, of Jesus healing a man who was demon-possessed in the synagogue at Capernaum. And it's right after that incredible encounter that we're gonna pick up our story today. Uh, look at verse 29 of Mark chapter one. Mark writes, as soon as they left the synagogue, they went with James and John to the home of Simon and Andrew. Now, Simon here is the disciple that we more commonly refer to as Peter. Uh, and Simon and Andrew, along with a few other disciples, they take Jesus to their house. Uh, now, it's important to, to realize that um, they didn't live in single-family dwellings back then like we would live in now. Uh, they lived in what was called an insula complex. And uh, it basically was four homes or four kind of rooms built around an open-air courtyard. And the courtyard, uh, it was kind of the center of the home. It's where you did all of your cooking and your laundry and your work. And, and it was an entire extended family that would live together in this one complex. Think about that. Like, it's not just you and your spouse and your kids. Like, it's your parents and it's your siblings and it's their kids and it's their kids. Could you imagine living in one home with your entire extended family? Some of you guys are very grateful that you live in 2018 and not back then. <laughs> And it says this in verse 30, Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever and they immediately told Jesus about her. Now, we might read that and that's kind of no big deal. We get fevers all the time, but a fever back then, it was a life-threatening illness. They didn't have the type of medical advancements that we have today. This wasn't just, hey, lay down for a little bit, you know, take a couple Tylenol, you'll feel better in a few days. No, there was something much more severe going on and recovery was not likely. And so put yourself in Peter's shoes uh, for a moment. Like, how do you feel when someone that you love is sick and suffering? They're not themselves. They're, they're no longer able to do the things that they love to do. It's agonizing to watch, isn't it? Like, all we want to do is, is jump in and fix that situation, make things better. 
And, and, and this, is, this is how Peter's feeling. It's tearing him up. And so it's, he immediately has to tell Jesus about this. There's no like fluff or like, hey, let's like do some small talk first. No, he's like, Jesus, we need you to intervene. You gotta do something, anything, but it has to be done now. And here's Jesus' response. Verse 31, so he went to her, took her hand, and helped her up. And the fever left her, and she began to wait on them. Jesus, he just goes to her, he grabs her hand, helps her up, and immediately her fever is gone. It's incredible. And then did you notice the last part of the sentence where, where Mark says, and she began to wait on them? I love that Mark includes this little detail. See, this isn't Mark like being sexist, like, oh, women belong in the kitchen, raw. Like, no, that's not what he's doing here. Mark, he, he, he includes this small detail to, to illustrate to us the full, complete, holistic healing that has taken place. See, Jesus, he didn't just remove the fever from this woman. He restored her to full health, full energy, full vitality so that she could immediately get back to doing exactly what it is that she loves to do. And in this case, it's hosting people in her home. It's caring for them. See, for, with, for Jesus, healing's not just about getting back to maintenance mode, right? Yes, yes, he, 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 he uh, removed this fever from this woman, but there was so much more that was going on. I think sometimes when we pray for healing, we're, we simply pray for the removal of whatever it is that's ailing us. But Jesus would say, no, like, I want to do so much more than you even think you need, See, one thing we're going to see over and over again today is that Jesus, he's always after a deeper healing. He's always after a deeper healing. To Jesus, healing's all about flourishing. For years when I was a kid, I suffered from an unfathomable amount of warts on my toes. Like at one point, I counted, no lie, I don't even know how this happens, but no lie, I had over 30 warts just on my right big toe alone. And man, it got to a point where it was painful for me when I would wear shoes, especially when I would play soccer, I'm wearing cleats. And at that time in my life, I mean, my whole world revolved around soccer. That was what I loved doing the most. And now it's inhibiting my ability to do the thing that I love. And I remember we would have, go to doctor's appointments after doctor's appointments after doctor's appointments to get them frozen off. And we'd do home remedies and different over-the-counter things, and nothing would work. No change at all. If there was a change, they just got worse. They were more numerous. And I remember one day I'm in my room, um, and my mom comes in. And her uh, women's Bible study was meeting at our house that night. And she says, hey, Beck, would you mind coming out to the living room for a few minutes? We want to pray for you. I was like, okay, sure, like, we've tried everything else. Why not give this a try? And so I go out there, and I sit down on the couch, and the women, they, they come around me, and they lay hands on me, and they pray that God would heal me, that God would take away this pain, take away this condition, and, and restore me back to full health. And we finish praying, and I open my eyes, and the first thing I do is look at my feet. <laughs> and all the words are still there. And so I go to bed, and I wake up the next morning, and the first thing I do is I look at my feet. 
and I'm shocked when the number of warts on my feet has dramatically decreased. And the next morning, I wake up and I look at my feet, and again, the same thing. There's fewer than the night before, and, and that happens the next day and the next day. And it wasn't longer than a week before I woke up, and every single wart on every single one of my toes was gone, and I've never had a wart since. Yeah. Now, I realize, like, on the spectrum of sicknesses that people can have, like warts on your toes, it's not topping, like, the severity list. But, man, for a little girl who's not able to do what it is that she loves to do, it's a big deal. And, man, my mom, she saw that. My mom was just like Peter, and she stepped out, and she said, hey, I'm going to request this healing. I'm going to ask for this healing on behalf of her. And I'm grateful she did. Let's get back to our story. Jesus, he heals Peter's mother-in-law, and word gets out. People actually start showing up on Peter's doorstep, wanting Jesus to heal them as well. And so Jesus spends the whole night healing person after person after person. And finally, in the early morning hours, he, he leaves the home. He, he retreats to somewhere solitary so he can have time to pray, to, to rest and get refreshed. And the disciples, they wake up and they notice that Jesus is in there. And so they go and look for him. And when they find him, Peter's like, Jesus, what are you doing? What are you doing out here by yourself? Everyone's looking for you. Like, we got to get back to town. There's more people to heal. There's more things to do. Come on. And Jesus, his response to Peter is, it's actually surprising. Look at verse 38. Jesus answers and he says, let us go somewhere else to the nearby villages so that I can preach there also, for this is why I have come. And I'm sure the disciples were like, wait, what? Like, no, Jesus, we can't go somewhere else. Like, there's still more people who need to be healed. This is our hometown. Like, we gotta stay here. But man, the disciples, they, they were thinking too small. Jesus, he's like, no, they're, I, I, I wanna do something bigger than this, just this. I, I didn't come just to heal one town of their sickness. I came to bring about the kingdom of God here on earth. I didn't, I didn't come just to restore one town of people. I came to restore all of humanity. I didn't come just to heal one town physically. I, I came to heal everyone, not just physically, but emotionally, mentally, spiritually as well. I, I want to restore them fully. See, what we have to realize is that Jesus, he cares about our physical healing. He absolutely does. But that's not all he cares about. Remember, to, to Jesus, there's always something more that's going on. Jesus, he's always after a deeper healing. And when we, we realize that our physical healing isn't simply just about our physical healing, we can actually be a little more open-handed with the outcome. Because we can trust that, that Jesus, he, he sees the big picture. He is, is working in, in greater and in, in deeper ways than what we can even know and imagine ourselves. Okay, let's take a look at the second person's story. We're going to be in verse 40. A man with leprosy came to him, came to Jesus, and begged him on his knees, if you are willing, you can make me clean. You know, there was no other disease that was more feared in the ancient Near East than leprosy. 
It was a bacterial uh, disease that primarily affected your skin. Uh, today, it's, it's called Hansen's disease. And what would happen is as this disease progressed, as this bacteria progressed, you would begin to form uh, nodules all over your skin. Primarily, though, on your face, uh, around your mouth, around your nose, your eyes. It wouldn't take very long before you'd start looking more like a monster than you would a human being. And as this uh, bacteria spread, it, it would actually uh, af affect the nerves in the effect infected areas, and you would lose your ability to sense pain. But see, pain, as awful as it is at times, it's necessary, isn't it? Like, we need pain to know that something's wrong. We need, we need to experience pain to know that, hey, we got to take care of ourselves. There's something that needs to change. I mean, without pain, how would you know that you just suffered a cut or a burn or, or some other type of injury that could lead to even greater infection? And so eventually, as time went on, uh, your, your, your limbs would, would shrivel up and deform, and, and after years and years and years of living like this, you would die. But you see, the physical effects of leprosy, they weren't even the worst part about having disease, the disease. The, the worst part about having leprosy is that you'd be considered unclean according to Jewish lingo. And so being unclean, it means, one, that you're cut off from God. You wouldn't be allowed to go worship in the temple at Jerusalem. Uh, maybe if you're lucky and you had a lenient synagogue ruler in your town, he, he would let you come to synagogue. Uh, but the only way that you could do that is if you got there before everyone else arrived and you'd have to hide yourself behind a black cloth and you couldn't see or look at or speak to or touch anybody and you'd have to stay hidden until everyone else had cleared out. And that's your life. That's your church experience. Being unclean, it also meant you're not just cut off from God, you're cut off from society. It's actually against the law for you to live and work in the city. And so you have leprosy, okay, you lose your job. You lose your family. And I mean, you saw the houses they live in. Everything about their life revolved around community, and now you don't get to be a part of any of that. You lose all physical contact with people. You're not allowed to touch anyone. I mean, think about how many times a day we have a physical encounter, a physical touch with someone, right? A, a handshake, a high five, a, a hug, a, a handhold, a kiss. You don't get to experience any of that. And if all of that wasn't bad enough, when you have leprosy, you lose your identity. You actually, by law, have to keep your hair unkempt. You have to walk around wearing torn clothes, and you can't even come within 50 feet of another Jewish citizen without having to yell out, unclean, unclean. Like, think about how humiliating, how, how dehumanizing that would be. Here's this man, and his life is a living death. He's in utter desperation and he falls at the feet of Jesus, begging him, Jesus, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Notice he doesn't say, Jesus, if you can, make me clean. No, he's got faith. He doesn't doubt that Jesus is able to heal him. He's just not sure if he's willing. 
I think we've thought those same things at times. God, God, I, I know that you could intervene in this situation. I, I just don't know if you will. And here's Jesus' response. Look at verse 41. Mark says, Jesus was indignant. Now, most other translations other than the NIV, they actually interpret this Greek wording here as Jesus was moved with compassion. And that translation, Jesus was moved with compassion, it's actually a much better translation. Because what we'll see throughout all of Mark, as well as all of the other gospel accounts, is that uh, compassion is always the thing that sparks healing in the Jesus stories. You'll, you'll read over and over again, Jesus saw the crowd and he had compassion on them. Jesus saw him and he had compassion on him. And then his response from that compassion is healing. It happens over and over again. And here's the really cool thing about this word, compassion. Uh, the Greek word here, it actually implies like, like a, a yearning of the intestines. I know, that doesn't sound cool right now, but <laughs> you're like, that sounds weird. Um, think of it as like, like a gut-wrenching empathy. You know what I'm talking about? Have you ever felt that? Like we experience that, that gut-wrenching empathy every time we see those Sarah McLaughlin animal, animal abuse commercials, right? Yeah, it's like you see it and it's just, it's so sad. It's so devastating how these, how these animals, how these dogs are being treated. Right? I don't really care about the cats, but the dogs, it's like gut-wrenching empathy. I'm sorry. So you guys are so sad right now because you love cats. I'm sorry, I don't. I just don't get it. I don't, anytime someone tells me like, no, no, like give cats a try. My cat's not like other cats, right? They always say that. My cat's not like other cats. And then they start to describe to me the characteristics of their cat that makes them unlike other cats. And I'm like, all you're doing is describing characteristics of a dog. It sounds like you're a dog person. You should get a dog. <laughs> Whatever. Anyways. <laughs> Sorry if I just crushed your dreams. Um, back to our story. This gut-wrenching empathy. This is what Jesus is feeling for this man. He, he's physically feeling this man's pain. He, he's owning it. And this is his response to his compassion that he has for this man. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. That would have been absolutely staggering. You don't touch lepers. You, you can't. You're not allowed to. I mean, for starters, they thought it was a contagious disease. Touching a leper, it, it would be like sharing a needle with an AIDS victim. It would be that shocking. You just don't do it. On top of that, someone who had leprosy, they're, they're considered unclean. And, and according to Jewish law, if, if someone who is clean touches something that is unclean, the clean becomes unclean. You would never willingly put yourself in that type of situation. So why did Jesus choose to touch this man? I mean, think about it. Jesus could have healed him with just a word. Jesus could have healed him with a wave of his hand or a thought, like he's God, he could do it however he wants, but he intentionally chooses to touch this man. There's something healing about physical touch, isn't there? 
I mean, it's why when a, when a baby's born, the very first thing we do is we lay it on its mother's chest. Because the baby needs physical touch in order to begin to thrive outside of the womb. It's why little kids come up and say, kiss my boo-boo. Because there's something healing about physical touch. See, Jesus intentionally touches this man, not just to heal him of his physical condition, but to heal him of his emotional condition as well. Like the, the wounds that this man carried on the outside, they, they paled in comparison to the wounds that he carried on the inside. Remember, Jesus, he's always after a deeper healing. Jesus didn't want to just heal this man of his physical disease. He wanted to restore this man's identity. He, he wanted to restore this man's humanity. He wanted to bring healing to his soul. And so Jesus, he touches this man. He says, I am willing, be clean. In verse 42, immediately the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. Man, this desperate man who comes on his knees at the feet of Jesus, begging him to heal him, he finds health and wholeness in the midst of God's presence. Here's our third story. Chapter two, verse one. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. And they gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door. And he preached the word to them. And some men came bringing to him a paralyzed man carried by four of them. And since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowered the mat the man was lying on. Man, these, these four friends, they are committed, aren't they? They're persistent. Undoubtedly, they, they've heard about Jesus. They, they've heard about the miracles he's been doing. Maybe they were eyewitnesses to some of the miracles that happened the last time Jesus was in Capernaum. Maybe they were even some of the people that showed up on Peter's doorstep with their friend wanting Jesus to heal him, but then Jesus leaves town. He goes somewhere else, and they miss their chance. But man, they weren't gonna miss their opportunity this time around. They, they, they bring their friend to Jesus, and when they realize they can't reach him, they can't get to him, the house is already far too crowded, they have the genius idea to vandalize the roof in order to get their friend to Jesus. You know anyone like this? You know any friends like this? Like, maybe they have, like, unconventional tactics. Maybe they're a little rough around the edges. They can be stubborn. They can be pers persistent. But, man, they never give up on you. Like, even after you've already given up on yourself, they're there. Like, those are good friends to have. I imagine we have some parents on all of our campuses who are like that. Your, your kid seems far away from Jesus and like there's no chance they're gonna get to him on their own. But man, you've got faith. You're determined, you're persistent to stand in that gap for them. It may even seem year after year they get further and further away, but you're not gonna give up on them. You're gonna have faith even if they don't have it for themselves. And if that's you, I hope you get some encouragement from this story. Look at what happens next. Verse five, when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, son, your sins are forgiven. 
Did you guys catch that? The beginning of the sentence. When Jesus saw their faith. Notice, it doesn't say when Jesus saw his faith. We don't know if the paralyzed man had faith. He may have, he may not have. We're not told that. That's not what Mark's trying to emphasize. Mark's making sure that we realize when Jesus saw their faith, when he saw the faith of the four friends, he turned to this paralyzed man and he said, son, your sins are forgiven. Wait, are you saying that someone could experience healing because of the faith that I have? Yeah. That's a big idea, right? No pressure. Like sometimes we have faith for someone when they don't even have faith for themselves and God says, okay, I can work with that. So I guess the question to ask is, who do you have faith for? Maybe, maybe the better question to ask is, who are you bringing to Jesus? Because you honestly, fully believe that he and only he could be what truly heals them. He saw their faith and he said to the man, son, your sins are forgiving. That's kind of a surprising response by Jesus. Like he, he's, he's healing this man of his paralysis. You would think it would make more sense to, for Jesus to say, son, you've been healed. Son, like your legs work again. Ta-da, like I don't know, something. But son, your sins are forgiven? Like that doesn't make sense. See, what this story is telling us is that there are times, sometimes, not always, but sometimes our, our physical ailments are actually connected to our sin. Right? If, if we live our life fully dependent and addicted to alcohol, we, sh we shouldn't be surprised when we develop liver issues. And what I love is that these four friends, they had the faith that Jesus could heal this man's physical condition. But Jesus, he takes it one step further and he heals this man's spiritual condition. I think about it. We always want what is external, don't we? But Jesus, he's always after the internal. We want what is, what is physical, what is tangible, what is seen, but Jesus, he, he goes after the unseen. Like, did he want this guy to walk? Absolutely. I mean, this, this man had a very real physical need. But Jesus realized that his spiritual need was even greater. What good would it do for this guy to go through life being able to physically walk while being spiritually dead? Remember, Jesus, he's, he's always after a deeper healing. There, there's always something more that's going on here. I think oftentimes we can be so tied to our present circumstances. We, we, can, be, we can be so oriented towards our, our personal comfort and prosperity or, or longevity of life that we become short-sighted. We, we become more focused on wanting the healing than on wanting Jesus. We, be, we become more focused on the here and now, on this temporary life, than on eternity. 
And Jesus would say, no, like, there's, there's so much more that I have for you. I, I, I've got something deeper for you. Yeah, I, I, I'm focused on, on the temporary and, and this here and now life, but I also see the big picture. I, I'm also focused on eternity. Here's how the story ends. Look at verse 11. Jesus said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. And so he got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. And this amazed everyone. And they praised God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. We've never seen anything like this. See, what these three stories tell us is that Jesus, he has the power and the authority and the willingness to heal. And I fully believe that that is not just true then, but that is also true for now. The writer of Hebrews, he says this, he says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so what that means is that the Jesus who was able and willing to do healings then is still able and willing to do healings now. And church, I've seen it. Like, I've seen it with my own eyes in other people's lives, and I've seen it in my own life. I had epilepsy as a child. Um, it started when I was six. And I had the type of seizures that are called uh, grandma seizures, which for a six-year-old is really confusing because they just hear grandma seizures, and they don't know what's going on, but... Um, I realize now it's different. And grand mal seizures are typically the most obvious and violent of seizures that someone has. Um, during, during my seizures, I would lose consciousness. Uh, I would, my body would stiffen. I would have violent jerking and shaking. Um, I, I'd make strange noises with my mouth, lots of clicking and crazy stuff, just to name a few things. And I remember always being... Um, nervous to spend the night at a friend's house because my seizures were always induced by sleep. And of course, I'm not mentally aware while I was having the seizures, but I always knew when I had just had one because I would come to and realize that during the seizure, I lost control of my bladder and, or my balls or both. And for a 10-year-old, like, that's a really humiliating thing to have happen at your best friend's birthday party. And I remember years and years and years of praying that God would heal me, of praying with my family and then praying, coming forward at healing services in my church and praying by myself and, and seeing no change. Actually seeing it get worse and my medication would be raised and raised and it was years of, of doctor's appointments and um, regular blood work and EKG testing and daily medication. And then one day the seizures just stopped. And I gradually weaned off my medication, and I've never had one since. But you see, that's just my personal story. I could, I could stand up here all day and tell you story after story after story of people that I know personally and how God has miraculously healed them. I've had family members healed of cancer. My, my sister was healed of depression and anxiety. I, I, some of my closest friends suffered year after year after year with infertility, and now they have beautiful miracle babies. 
And what I know to be true is there are hundreds and hundreds of these types of miraculous stories here at Cornerstone that could be told by the people sitting right around you. If, if you have one of these miraculous stories of healing, of something that God's in in your life, can I challenge you sometime this week, tell someone that story, someone you've never told it to before. Because you actually never know the power of telling your story. We, we never fully realize the power of telling our story of what Jesus has done in our life. But you know, at the same time, I, like many of you, still have countless why questions that are left unanswered. When I was 10, we found out that my Uncle John, my favorite uncle, was diagnosed with ALS. It's also called Lou Gehrig's disease, and it's a, it's a neurodegenerative disease that um, progressively over time eats away at the nerve cells that are responsible for communicating with your brain about muscle movement. And so as, as this disease progresses in, in someone, they lose their ability to, to speak and to swallow and eat on their own, um, and then they'll lose their ability to move altogether and eventually their ability to breathe. And my Uncle John, along with the majority of my dad's whole side of the family, are strong Christians. And from the very beginning, we fully believed not only that God could heal, but that he would do a miraculous healing in this situation. I mean, if there was ever a formula for, like, having healing come about, like, we followed it to a T. I mean, the level of, of faith and belief and trust and prayer that my family exhibited, is, it was unbelievable. And five years after his original diagnosis, I was home when my dad got the call that Uncle John had passed away. He was 45, and he left behind a wife and three teenage girls. And I remember being overwhelmed by grief I'm 16 and I'm, I'm so angry at God. I'm so disappointed in God and I'm trying to process through all of these why questions. Like, God, why did you let him die? Why, why do my cousins now have to go through life without a dad? Why didn't you heal him when we fully believed and trusted that you would? Like, if anyone deserved to be healed, it was my Uncle John. Why do some people get healed immediately and other people it's over the course of weeks or months or years and then other people like my Uncle John don't receive their healing on this side of eternity? It's been 15 years now and the only question I've come up with for all of my why or the only answer I've come up with for all of my why questions is I don't know. I don't know. And it's taken me a while to get here, but I'm actually at the place where I'm okay not knowing. I'm okay not having all of my questions answered. 
Because what that means is that I believe in a God that is bigger than what my human mind can comprehend. I mean, why would I want to believe in and follow a God that I can fully understand and know with my human brain and my limited knowledge? And so, I'm okay not knowing. But what I do know, what I do believe, is that God has the power and the authority and the willingness to heal. I fully believe that God, he cares for us and he has compassion for us and that there is no sickness too far gone, no brokenness too deep, no challenge too great for him. I believe that God can and does still heal today. But even if he doesn't, I still believe that God is God and God is good. Like, even if he doesn't heal, I still believe that God is at work in greater ways, in deeper ways, not only in my life, but in other people's lives, and he is working for our good in ways that we can't even imagine. How many funerals have you been to where 50 people accepted Christ at the funeral? I've been to one. It was my Uncle John. So I think at the end of the day, it all comes down to our faith in God. Like it begs us to answer the question, do we allow our circumstances to define our faith in God? Or do we allow our faith in God, do we, do we allow our belief in his power to have victory over whatever situation we find ourselves in? In just a minute, we're gonna close the service with a time of prayer and worship. The worship team's gonna come back out and we're gonna sing a few songs. And our prayer team is gonna come forward here at the front. And if you are someone who is in need of healing, maybe it's for yourself personally, or maybe you wanna be like that paralyzed man's four friends and you're, you say, hey, I'm gonna have faith. I'm gonna stand in the gap for my friend, for my loved one, when they can't. If that's you, I'm gonna ask you to be bold, to be courageous, to have faith and come forward and we're gonna pray with you. We're gonna stand in faith with you and we're gonna ask God to move in miraculous ways. If you're someone who doesn't need prayer, here's what I'm gonna ask you to do. I'm gonna ask that you stay put and you just join us in worship. Maybe you stand and sing, maybe you stay seated and you, and you pray on your own, but don't leave. Like, don't miss out on what God is gonna do here. And maybe this is your first time at Cornerstone. Sorry, it's such a heavy weekend. They're not all like this. Just when I speak, because I cry all the time. Or maybe you're, you're still a little uncomfortable with this whole topic. I hope that you stay put and that you watch what God does. That you watch what happens when, when a, a community of believers, when a family come around each other and we support each other and we pray for each other and we have faith for each other. Like, it's a beautiful thing. And maybe this is exactly the type of church that you need to be a part of. 
So I'm gonna close in prayer. And once I say amen, if you need healing, just stand up, come forward. Our prayer team's gonna be up here and we are gonna believe with you that God is gonna work in miraculous ways and that we will have countless numbers of incredible stories of what God has done in our lives through this weekend. Let's pray. God, you are a God of miracles. We trust and we believe that you have the power and the ability and the authority to heal. God, we also trust and believe that you aren't just able, but you are willing. And so God, I pray for anyone who can hear my voice who's in need of healing. God, whether it's for themselves personally or it's for someone they know, Father, I pray that right now you would begin to stir up their faith. God, I pray that right now you would, you would begin to give them the courage and the boldness to step out in that faith, to come forward for prayer and to, and to, and to leave today with the expectation that you are a God who loves us and who cares for us and who is working in great ways on our behalf. God, that you are healing us and you are restoring us, not just physically, but in every other way that we need restoration. We love you, Lord. We pray these things in the mighty and powerful name of Jesus Christ. Amen.